Hello and welcome to the Intutel podcast, episode five. My name is Tab Betts and I'm hosting this week's podcast. And I'm joined by Ellis and Yusuf. Do you want to say hi? Hi. So um, we're coming to you from the learning solution team, team into global. Um, and as I said, we're talking about gamification today. So what is gamification? Uh, I believe we found a definition here. Who'd like to read out the definition? I can do that. So the definition that we're going with for gamification is it's the application of typical elements of gameplay. So, for example, point scoring, competition with others, rules of play to other areas of activity. And the idea is that it should encourage engagement with either an idea or in business, a product or service. But in the teaching context is how do we get the students to engage with particular ideas through the notion of playing games? Brilliant. Great definition. And I think if you think about kind of um, the way that animals learn things, I think it becomes like if you imagine like two lion cubs playing together, they learn to be, you know, effective hunters and to, to be a lion basically through playing with each other. So mm. it seems to be quite a natural thing, right? That, that, you know, the way that children play as well is also a way that we learn. So why can't we extend this into the way that adults learn? Yeah, totally. I think, um, I mean, I think we encourage as well, even in our own young, like you're saying, sort of lions learn as, as cubs how to do things. We we encourage that just the same, um, you know, by sending our children to preschool so that they can learn fundamentals such as sharing and interacting with others. Um, so, yeah, it's something that we all kind of buy into and that we forget can definitely engage our students in later education. Absolutely. I think we often think that play is something for children, but um, actually recently there's been this movement towards something called serious play. And that is about how we can use play as a way to actually accomplish things. So as the, as um, the definition that Yusuf read out says, you know, about ways that we can engage with ideas or, you know, in business to engage with products or services. So there's a lot of things about games that can be kind of intrinsically motivating. And, you know, if you look at the way that the computer games industry has has grown and also the board game industry, you'll see that, you know, it has a mass appeal even for adults. Why do you play games? So I don't I don't play video games, but what I I do is whenever I'm trying to learn something new, I do turn it into a game. So it's it's basically experimentation, but trying to make it as fun as possible. Right, exactly. So giving yourself the freedom to experiment and be able to get things wrong, that's quite important. So I think normalising failure as a part of learning and also having sort of rewards or some kind of point scoring or some sort of, you know, rules that you're following can can help with that or even an element of competition potentially, either with yourself or with others. Yeah, no, and I think as well, it's sort of rooted in psychology. We know that positive reinforcement can really engage um, individuals with many aspects of life, but learning especially. And gamification is really great, or, or like you say, kind of point scoring or tallying is a really great way of reinforcing that. I would say that competition doesn't have to be putting people against each other. So there are a lot of games that actually use different kinds of mechanics. For example, you can do like a time trial type thing. So you do you do a task once and then you test yourself again to see if you can beat your previous score or to do it faster or to do it more effectively. 
The other way you can do it is actually get everyone to collaborate to try and reach a goal. So, for example, let's say there's a point system and you get points each time someone in the class does something, you know, well. But what you could do is you actually, as a whole class, you're trying to reach a particular goal. So we've got to get 30 points by the end of this lesson or we've got to get 100 points by the end of this week. Um, so it's a way that everyone's working together for something. It doesn't have to be competitive in the sense that you're working against each other. Um, there's a really useful framework, I think, that um, comes from the literature on gamification. And it's 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 referred to as a framework of intrinsically motivating instruction. And this is um, this was authored by uh, a guy called Malone and uh, and uh, another academic called Lepper. It was kind of in the 1980s and it has four components. So the four components are challenge, fantasy, curiosity and control. Um, I think I mean, challenge is kind of an obvious one in learning. Um, so there are some different elements, but one of the key elements of challenge is that you should try to have a goal which has an uncertain outcome. So setting a goal for your learners where it's not certain whether or not they will succeed. Do you do you have any thoughts about any of the other ones under that challenge heading within that, that those studies? I think with the variable progressive difficulty, which sits under the challenge aspect, um, it, it's, as we were saying a moment ago, really useful because it doesn't need to be pitching students against each other. It could be against their own progress. Um, so, you know, you can kind of stretch them within themselves rather than against other class members to reduce the, like you say, the negative side of competition. Um, you know, competing against yourself can only be a good thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really key. It links to the idea of Vygotsky's zone of proximal development. So you have this idea that you want to keep a learner slightly outside their comfort zone, but not too far. So, so they can it's something they can do with some support. Um, so the task is something that they can't do on their own. They can do it with a little bit of support, but they can't, um, you know, it's not something that they can do so easily that, you know, it isn't a challenge. And it's not so difficult that it's, you know, beyond their ability, even with support. So I think that's a good one. Um, does anything else um, from this study jump out to you, Yusuf? I think that the, the third element where it says curiosity, because one of the challenges that I think we, we have to kind of encounter is that with students learning from their own devices, especially now that we're going online, we're in a competition for their attention. And if what they're learning isn't sufficiently challenging, it isn't sufficiently fun, and it doesn't kind of pique their own curiosity, there is a tendency that they might think to themselves, well, actually, let me go over to Instagram or let me go over to any of the other social media platforms that will pique my curiosity because I'm trying to figure out something over there. So they're still on this figuring things out journey, but the information that they're trying to find out isn't necessarily course related. It's gonna be more, well, what are my friends up to? So by including these elements where we're either being able to put in uh, audio visual sensory curiosity. So this is these these things are cool and where we're, we're getting them to ponder well, what's going to come next. We're we're engaging them in at a higher level, but also keeping them focused on their studies, which I think is 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 a big act of generosity on our side because we're helping them be able to do what they need to ultimately do, which is learn. But doing it in a way where we're, where we're cognizant of the fact that we are in competition for their attention. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there are a few ways that we can do this. I mean, one is by just thinking about how to make your lessons more visually and, you know, 
um, sonically appearing, so appealing. So do you have, you know, for example, do you ever use music in your class or what kind of visuals are you using? Um, you know, trying to make the most of multimedia, but also intellectual curiosity by kind of having knowledge gaps. So sort of, um, for example, a task where you give learners two different bits of information and then you get them to talk about it and share from an information gap. That's a good way to make them curious about what the other person has learned. Um, fantasy, I think about that in, in learning, sort of like giving a story to um, what we're learning about. So, for example, you could mm -hmm. actually make a whole course into a sort of a story. Um, so, for example, I once um, designed a course where we turned the whole course into like a film noir detective story and the student had to play a detective and piece together clues in order to you know gain all the information that they needed to pass the exam. Yeah and I think it's especially useful in instances where the subject matter might be a bit drier. Um, we know that we're more likely to engage with subject matter that we find interesting and sometimes that fantasy approach can tap into that in a different way. Definitely, yeah. And then the final element is control. So that's about sort of having multiple outcomes um, for something and giving students a choice. So, for example, sometimes allowing them to choose, you know, do you do, do you X or do you do Y? Um, and also having some actual outcome that's different based on that. So almost having a non-linear path through their learning. Um, and games do this a lot, you know, give, give users the control over what happens. So um, this links to, you know, this idea of getting students into an optimal um, state for learning links to this idea of flow um, by Professor Csikszentmihalyi, who basically came up with this idea that it's, it's probably referred to as being in the zone um, generally, but he suggests that play is a very good way to get us into that kind of mentality where we're not overthinking things and we're just performing to our optimal level. How do you think that plays into learning? I think, um, again, it's a really useful concept or, or really well thought through concept. Um, I think we see, again, in children, younger children, they're not inhibited, you know, fear of rejection from peers. Um, lots of different things kind of impede that along our life. Um, so trying to tap back into that again with with older children or, or young adults, if you will, can um, definitely remove some of those inhibitors. And if everybody is in the moment um, kind of concentrated on that play and immersed in that play, then it reduces their concentration on any external variables. Definitely. So it's almost like a way because you immerse yourself, you become more focused, don't you? Yeah. And so there's also an idea of sort of temporal mechanics. Um, so the idea of using time limits in your class, so having a countdown timer, or um, that idea of a speed run that I was talking about earlier, where like almost like a time trial thing, where you try to do something faster and faster or better and better, try to beat your own score. There are some tools for doing that. So there's uh, called uh, online-timers.com, um, and they have sort of multiple online timers you can use in your web browser. Um, so you don't need to install anything. But there's also a very good one called free-countdown-timer.com. Um, and that's one that you install on Windows and you can have sort of multiple timers counting down. And that's quite useful in online teaching because you can have it on your screen. It doesn't matter which window you switch between to your slides or to other things. They can still see the timer. Um, have you ever used Kahoot? 
I have, yes. Um, like everybody in lockdown, um, I've used it for sort of family and friends quizzes. Um, but it's a really engaging tool for in the classroom. There's a couple of different approaches you can have. Um, you can have students using their own device to respond to answers, almost in like a, a fastest finger first type approach from uh, who wants to be a millionaire. Um, or you can kind of have teams of people working together and answering as a group rather than individuals. It's a really flexible tool. Great, yeah, so that's something that you can try out um, if you're interested in doing a sort of fun quiz thing. Another one that I quite like to use, it does look a bit more like something for, for younger children, but there's something called Class Dojo, which I think is really fun, where basically you can set a set of behaviours, and I often like to agree this with the class, about things, desirable behaviours, and then you can award points each time someone exhibits one of those behaviours. And you can even join in as a teacher as well, so that if you exhibit those behaviours that, you know, you can you can award yourself points or the students can, you know, suggest awarding you a point for something. Um, and again, you can do this as a collaborative thing. So you're all trying to get points together, but it's quite a good way to sort of reward and enforce the sorts of behaviours you want. For example, submitting your homework on time or it might be asking a question in class or contributing to a discussion or, you know, anything like that one that you could try out. Um, another tool that I think is really good is, is one that's called Twine or twinery.org um, is the website and it allows you to create a sort of branching choose your own adventure style narrative so you can create a story and at different points in the story you can choose do you want to go down path A or path B um, and it's a bit like those choose your own adventure books you know they had yeah um, yeah did you ever read those? Yeah, I was goosebumps mad. <laughs> Definitely. So those one, those ones were great fun, weren't they? And it say like, yeah. you know, if you want to go this way, turn to page seven, and yeah. it will have different outcomes, right? Depending on which way you go. Yeah, and I think the beauty of that sort of approach is that um, students can engage with it more than once. So things that might be muddiest points, for example, can get a couple of different exposure points because students might choose a different option, but still come across that material. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. So it almost makes that process of, you know, repetition, which is so important in learning, into something kind of fun because it's not exactly the same every time and they can choose different paths through the material. So it sort of builds in repetition without it being um, dull um, and yeah. boring. Yeah, that's that's really great. I mean, I think another thing that, that games do really well is is this idea of interactive storytelling, which links to that that tool Twine or Twinery. Um, and we're actually running a workshop on interactive storytelling um, as well, which which uh, I think will be very interesting to to think about in terms of how how we teach our our classes. One final idea as well is about uh, game show activities. So just thinking about game shows that you know and thinking, is there a way to turn your class into a sort of game show and just make the questions and answers related to your subjects? So could you think of a, a game show that might be fun to do that with? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many out there now it's difficult to to choose the perfect approach but I mean you could go for um 
you could go for something like the chase where you pitch the class um, against or, or sort of break them down into teams and they can work individually in the first instance to try and accrue points and then work as a team against their rival team, um, answering questions, you know, general knowledge or specific to the subject area. Um, you can do, um, you could almost do like catchphrase um, you know, have images reveal and relate that back to, to content and again have teams trying to work out what it could be. Um, yeah. Great yeah. idea. And there's also things like um Who Wants to be a Millionaire, which you mentioned earlier, which is, yeah. which is always quite a good one. Um and then there's things like Crystal Maze where you could, you know, you could make a little map and they go to like different zones and they have different puzzles to solve. Um so mm -hmm. that kind of thing can be quite fun. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it for today. Um, thanks for listening and join us again next week on the Into Tell podcast to hear about getting away from the screen, how we can take online learning away from the screen. So thanks, everyone. Thanks.